This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hey everybody, it's Monica Robbins coming to you from the WKYC newsroom. I apologize for the audio. I'm using a webcam today. So today is the day that the Pfizer vaccine received full FDA approval. And I wanted to know what that really meant to those on the front line. So I had a chat with Dr. Joseph Cabaza, who's a pulmonologist at Cleveland Clinic, about what he's seen in the last 18 months and what full vaccine approval really means to him been asked about this a couple of times. I think a lot of us who've been immersed in taking care of COVID patients, especially in the ICU and in the hospital, we haven't really thought about um, authorization status of the vaccine. All I know is in December, we were all tripping over each other to try to get vaccinated. And once we got our shots, that was a very uh, therapeutic uh, and big turning point, I think, for a lot of us mentally, just being able to take the fear and concern that we'd have of, of catching COVID ourselves um, and then gradually you start seeing the numbers uh, drop drastically in the hospital. You see so much less pain, death, and suffering. So excited about the vaccine. But then, you know, over the last couple of months, as, as you start talking to patients in the office who may be hesitant uh, about getting vaccines, and you hear some stories or reasons from uh, patients enlisting one of them of just having emergency use authorization, um, yeah, it's nothing we ever even realized could be a potential thing holding back uh, people. So learning about that a couple months ago, you know, made me hopeful that once there was official authorization, that at least for those people where that was the main holdup for them, that it would give them the added confidence to go get it. So it can, um, how much, how many people will get vaccinated as a result of this who are only holding on to that piece? I don't know. But if it's more than one person, I think it's a very positive thing because what we've really known for sure, nothing has minimized uh, the, the pain, suffering, grieving and death like vaccines have. So it's a very hopeful time. You and I talked in the very beginning of this pandemic. Since that time, what have you seen? How has it changed your perspective on what this pandemic actually means to people as somebody who works in an ICU? Yeah, it's, it's been very humbling. Um, I, I will say, so I'm also an outpatient lung doctor where I take care of you know, healthier outpatients for years. And then I work in the ICU one or two weeks a month. And from March, when I met you until January, I lost six outpatients to COVID. So six people that I've known for years who died as a result of COVID. So those, any loss really hits close to home. And of the you know dozens and dozens of people I never knew who I took care of who have passed. Those are tough too, but uh, the personal element, um, you know, it, it really, really hit me harder than I expected to see that volume of patients. I, I don't lose six patients a year to lung cancer or fibrosis or COPD. Um, so having that all happen in a shorter period of time while just seeing tons of other loss of life and suffering, um, it's, it, it's a wake up call. I mean, as an ICU doctor, I'm around a lot of end of life, um, a lot of difficult situations, but nothing really prepares you for the volume of loss of life and suffering that, that you see. And I think also early on, you know, having an appreciation to how much of an added medicine it is to have family at the bedside, you know, to take care of sick, uh, scared and, and dying people without the, a loved one holding their hand or talking to them daily. 
uh, yeah, that that is that is really tough. And, and studies have, have showed that further, how that's kind of affected uh, patients during COVID, not having family around. And so, so that gave a whole new perspective. And I really pride myself. I form a lot of close family relationships and rapport in the ICU, especially. And being able to even to know the loved one um, who I'm speaking to on the phone, um, to not even know what they look like or lock eyes with them while having some very difficult conversations, that will put a little bit of an extra strain emotionally on us um, uh, as well. And that's a lot you know, through that first half. Now, we saw a lot less young people in the ICU in the first half of the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, but whenever I see a young person in their 20s or 30s on a ventilator with young kids, uh, pre-vaccine, when I'd go home, I, I'd lay in bed at night wondering, am I, I going to be next? You know, are my kids going to have to hear about me being on a ventilator one day or just being in the hospital? Since vaccines, that thought doesn't cross my mind at all because I know I'm just so well protected. They've been so amazing, these vaccines, at keeping people from getting very sick. And and, you know, which has made these last couple of months, you know, it, it's, it's been tough because we're seeing a lot younger, healthier looking people than we did at any point uh, during the pandemic. And is that due to Delta or is it due to kind of less, less things in place that prevent young people from being exposed to high amounts of virus? Um, you know, whatever it may be, but we're seeing a lot of younger, healthier people than ever before. Uh, on ventilators now or on high flows of oxygen in the intensive care unit. And it's, it's really each wave of this pandemic has had its own uh, unique uh, stories and challenges and, uh, and, and really heartache. And, um, you know, I, I don't, and, and, and they've all been unvaccinated. You know, when you see a young, healthy person right now on the ventilator, I think the preventable nature of this pain and suffering kind of makes it harder to see because it's always hard to see human suffering, even if you know they may have chosen a, a path that increased uh, the risks of that. But it's never easy seeing a, a fellow human being struggling um, or not surviving. Um, and but, but because of vaccines, I think all of us who work in the ICU can you know, more be more focused. You know. At, uh, on the patients and their families and what they're going through. And thankfully more families allowed at bedside um, uh, now, but I think the fact that we've been able to take the, the fears of us or our families ending up in those beds have been very helpful. Uh, but certainly I think with today's news, it just, in, if it increases the odds even slightly of, of more people developing uh, strong immunity to COVID the easy way, it's just gonna minimize the, the suffering that that we're seeing more and more of these last couple of weeks. And, and I does not appear we're near our peak yet. And things are just been slowly drifting up. And like throughout the pandemic, I mean, it's just a one day at a time uh, approach. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what next variant's around the corner. And I think Delta was really that curveball that really threw off a lot of our uh, stats and models uh, uh, and really our hopes for a, a, a fully normal summer and fall. and in a relatively normal life uh, moving forward, but it just shows the importance of having uh, immunity uh, to COVID. Any immunity you have is gonna help in the future, whatever may come, whatever variant may come around the corner. Talk to me about those patients that you've been treating. How many of them actually asked you, can you give me the vaccine now, when in your mind it was just too late? Yeah, so Ferdinand, that question, I guess, did not come up with me. By the time they end up in the intensive care unit, they've usually seen a couple of 
providers already, whether it's the uh, emergency doctors or their outpatient doctors um, or, or their uh, hospitalists uh, on the floor. So by the time they're very sick uh, by me, I, I have not gotten that question. And many of them are probably too sick to be uh, asking or thinking about it. They, 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 if they've asked that question or wondering about it, it's probably already been answered. Um, I did have one patient who was unvaccinated who at the first sign of developing a flu-like illness then became scared and then went out and got the first COVID vaccine at his first sign of symptoms. Fortunately, it doesn't work that way. And he died 19 days later of COVID. Um, and, and it just shows, I think there are a lot of people and I think most of the unvaccinated people I talk to are, are really genuinely conflicted and not, you know, they're, they're, they're open to it, but have not been swayed um, uh, in the uh, or in the direction of really come across a healthcare provider, someone they trust to kind of have the discussions um, uh, eye to eye. And I think this patient, you know, he'll always stand out to me as somebody who, you know, if, if one of us got to him earlier in the office or were able to encourage or, or, or answer questions, you know, he, could he have been saved? Because he was willing to take the vaccine, but he, he, he took it after he first developed symptoms of COVID and unfortunately passed 19 days later. Are you seeing vaccinated people? Are you starting to see serious breakthrough cases? And if so, how many compared to the unvaccinated? So we, we do see a couple of, uh, especially with Delta, I think pre-Delta it was almost unheard of to see uh, a vaccinated patient in the ICU. That we had a couple that would trickle into the hospital for a couple of days. These were all patients who are immunocompromised. They were on medications that we know blunt the response to the vaccine. So it wasn't terribly surprising, but their illnesses were quite mild and uh, none of them did, did I meet in the ICU. So very, very few subset of patients uh, would make it uh, into the hospital even, let alone the ICU. These last month or so, you know, we have been seeing more serious breakthrough uh, episodes and people who are vaccinated, it's still far less. And I don't know, then I can't imagine it's anything more than 5% of what we're seeing in the ICU. I don't know, five to 10%. I mean, it's a really minimal uh, number. I mean, I can remember each individual uh, case, at least that's been in our ICU. And they've, again, mainly been patients who are immunocompromised on medications that the vaccine that has less of a response than they're facing with, you know, higher virus exposure from a more a transmissible uh, Delta variant, which just attaches to our airways so much easier uh, than the prior uh, strains. Um, and then we, we've seen a couple of, of patients who are very elderly, so above 80 or 90, where we know the immune system gets a little bit weaker with time. Uh, all of these patients uh, survived. Um, one had to stay on, on the ventilator for a period of time, then was able to get off of it uh, and move on. And you know, as far as I know, they've gone out of uh, our ICUs and on to their rehab and recovery, but the illnesses were likely far more mild than had they been unvaccinated. Uh, but, but it's still, I mean, I can't imagine, I mean, it's still well above 90% of severely ill people who are, um, who are in the ICU with COVID are unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. And the vaccinated breakthroughs that are more severe have been mainly in that, you know, subset of patients that um, you know, I think the ones where the booster was uh, approved for also people are just immunocompromised with specific conditions and on specific medications that we know will blunt the immune response to a vaccine. 
So what's your concern about as we go forward? Obviously, we're hoping that people look at the Pfizer vaccine a little differently now, and perhaps maybe FDA approval sways them. But we're heading into cold and flu season. Kids are going back to school. What are you most worried about based on what you're seeing? I'd say that the capacity is always going to be my biggest concern, especially since we're not, I, I don't think, near our peak yet for this wave. I mean, I've, I've been uh, uh, around the country giving uh, uh, talks and doing work in other states that have been a little bit more affected um, recently. When I get stories from other uh, ICU doctors about their COVID uh, experiences right now, it does get me a little bit nervous. You hear stories of, of a patient diagnosed with an early stage lung cancer that can be cured with surgical resection but her surgery was canceled and pushed back because it's not considered emergent right now. So, you know, you have a patient who has a, a curable cancer who's now surgery has to be put on hold until their local hospitals are, are doing uh, non-emergent cases now because they don't have bed capacity um, uh, in that state to take on any, you know, basic non-emergent surgical uh, procedure. That's just kind of one example of stories I've heard from um, all over of just non-COVID related illness might take a hit. That's always my, my biggest fear. And a lot of these are people who are vaccinated, who kind of did right things for their health, but are going to have their care potentially compromised if we don't have capacity to do a lot of non-COVID stuff. We're not there yet in Cleveland. I hope we're never there. Uh, but hearing stories from colleagues of mine in, in other states that are more affected right now, that's always going to be my biggest, uh, my biggest fear. How are you dealing with the compassion care burnout? We've seen it among a number of doctors and nurses. How are you managing? Uh, so I think exercise has been very important. I really have a, a huge priority on making sure I'm exercising daily uh, or regularly. I mean, m most days of the week to get some kind of exercise in the morning. Um, that that's helped quite a bit. And I think just really going home and shutting out social media and, uh, and news. I mean, I don't really follow uh, much of that stuff or the outside noise. You know, when I see, cause that, that added on a bit of stress for me, I think early on, um, uh, especially pre-vaccines where, you know, patients would tell you a story or show you this or that, and that, that can get really challenging to try to explain basic science uh, to, uh, to, to, people who are trying to educate me about something I've kind of trained my whole uh, uh, career for. Um, and I think just trying to really uh, avoid the noise. I think having vaccines is really, that uh, probably was the most therapeutic thing mentally uh, for me personally, I think for many of my colleagues, because now we just didn't have that. We knew, you know, I'm protected, my family's protected, my friends are protected. And then that, you know, if, if I can't, you can't really convince, uh, oftentimes can't convince uh, people to change their mind in some of these settings. And I just try to also just offer information and answer questions in the office, non-judgmentally, you know, we're not vaccine bullies. I just wanna make sure I tell patients if they're gonna be making a life or death decision, which I think choosing to not get vaccinated um, is for many people, uh, that I want, I want them to at least do it, you know, based on the, the right facts and information. So I think avoiding a lot of that outside uh, noise is helpful. Um, and, 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 yeah, I think a lot of the last year has you appreciate the little things 
uh, a bit more and just going home and just watching my kids run around and, uh, and cause havoc and, uh, and, you know, just really focusing on, on simpler things and realizing those are things that matter most uh, in life. It's kind of the little things that we may not think about as often. So having a greater appreciation for things like that. Um, not, but you know, I will tell you, I mean, June is when I kind of hit a wall mentally. I almost felt that, that burnout. I mean, we just had a wave. I'd never seen a volume of deaths in one week in an ICU before after a rough couple of months. Um, and, and that's where I kind of stepped back and regrouped. I had a vacation. I had some time off that randomly was there. And, um, you know, I think since then, I mean, the self-care is important, but, but exercise and fo focusing on family has been the uh, uh, main thing. And I know uh, many of my colleagues, uh, mindfulness meditation has been very valuable uh, as well. Just taking a few minutes a day to sit down and focus on being in the present moment. You know, I, we're, this has been very humbling. We're not in as much control in medicine like we, we, we like to be and used to be, and especially in the ICU. So embracing and realizing it's just one day at a time, there's only so much we can do and to not try to do everything at once and not try to educate everyone at once. And, and just to be compassionate, even with those who, um, who are not, you know, who are getting information probably from the wrong places and making harmful decisions. You know, most of them are not uh, bad people. You know, I, I'll tell you, many of the uh, unvaccinated people I've come across in the office and even in the hospital where, um, you know, family meetings with uh, an unvaccinated loved one who's dying and meeting um, their family who are largely unvaccinated to talk about. I mean, these are some of the sweetest people, you know, uh, I've met. And, you know, I think we're all kind of humans struggling, uh, you know, through this pandemic one day at a time, but everyone's coming from a different place and just trying to be more compassionate really with, 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 uh, with, um, with people who have chosen this route, because many of them, I think, may not have had the right conversations before and whatever led them down the, that path, which um, unfortunately too many has caused loss of life and uh, illness. If you had your soapbox and you could stand on it, um, what would you say to people after the last 18 months of your experience? What would you say to people now? So the, I think the message stays the same that I've really said all along that, um, but it's an easy virus to avoid. Uh, so if you choose to have no immunity uh, to COVID, which we did not have early on, um, you know, you gotta really be very vigilant and especially with a, a very contagious, a lot more contagious strain now, who knows what's around the corner. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, so the messages are similar, but really to, to everyone who's unvaccinated or does not have uh, Full, full immunity, you know, you, I, I tell people also that I wouldn't wish even mild COVID on my worst enemy. Uh, so I want everyone to be as protected from this virus as possible because nobody should suffer uh, the way too many have. Um, and, but we're all gonna come across it one way or another, it seems like, because it does not seem to be going anywhere and will the next strain be more contagious? I mean, who, who knows? So we're all gonna, our immune system's all going to be exposed to some part of COVID. And we have the choice to either get immunity the easy way uh, with the vaccine in our arm, like we have our whole lives with other vaccines, or to roll the dice and get immunity the, the harder way through natural infection and not knowing what it may do to us, but also, you know, spread it to others and, and you know, potentially harm somebody we really care about or even a stranger. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, we're all going to be facing it at some point. So 
get immunity the easy way is really the, the message I try to get across. I'm glad you brought up natural infection. How many people are you seeing in the ICU who had COVID last year before vaccine still chose not to get the vaccine because they thought they had natural protection and then they got the Delta variant? Yeah, I, I think the answer is uh, too many. Um, there, there's certainly a, a handful just right now in our ICUs and some young people that had very mild disease last November, December um, felt it wasn't needed uh, to get vaccinated, although we've been recommending that after 90 days of a natural infection uh, to get immunized. And then really this Delta variant has really been the big, um, the big equalizer. I mean, it's what it's done to so many. It's, it's really, it's still almost doesn't feel real what I'm, uh, what we've been seeing here. Um, you know, natural immunity was probably pretty good against most non-Delta strains for, for probably longer than we suspected. Uh, initially, but we still didn't know who to identify who were the ones who were going to be well protected for a long period of time uh, or, or not. So that's why vaccines were recommended even in the face of natural immunity. But Delta has kind of changed everything uh, in terms of uh, the, the strength from natural immunity back then. And so even, even some of the data that trickles out, I mean, it does suggest natural immunity uh, from a year ago is, is better than no immunity, but still probably not confidently sufficient to go through this, this Delta surge and whatever may be in the future. So you would still tell those who had COVID a year ago, please get vaccinated? Yeah, honestly, before Delta, you know, people who were truly on the fence who were infected uh, uh, last year or early this year, um, you know, I, I told them, you know, the fact that we do recommend getting vaccinated after uh, 90 days, they may have protection uh, far longer than 90 days, but we didn't know how to identify them. Uh, but they probably had, you know, they probably had some degree of protection, but I couldn't tell them for how long or, uh, or, or pick who, who, who they were that were going to be protected. So still recommended, but if they did not choose to get vaccinated, you know, they, they probably would have done okay had they come across, but, we, but okay, I think in the middle of a pandemic isn't really confidence uh, building. But now with Delta, my advice really has changed, uh, changes quite a bit because what we're seeing is Delta doesn't seem to really be bothered too much by what you may have had in October or November uh, of last year, or even earlier this year. And uh, so I think natural immunity in the face of the Delta variant it probably does a lot less uh, than it did before. Still hard to quantify, but I've seen enough severely ill patients with the Delta variant now who were infected last year to know that I... I would not want to take my chances. I would think FDA approval today is making your uh, your heart sing a little bit if that means more people will get vaccinated. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, even if it's hard to quantify how many, but it's certainly not a bad thing. And I can't imagine that some people won't be affected uh, by this who might have been teetering on the fence uh, there. So, so even if just one person gets vaccinated after this, um, uh, it, it's a good day. That's one less person that is going to suffer from COVID, one less family that has to grieve that suffering, um, and one less hospital bed that's being used um, uh, as well. So uh, vaccine, I do a lot of stuff, you know, in the ICU, especially that might be considered um, uh, life-saving, a lot of procedures. We do a lot of things we do in an emergent setting, but there's no greater feeling I've had really both in the office and in the hospital than when 
uh, I talked to a patient who's on the fence who chooses to get vaccinated afterwards. That feels like really the most life-saving thing uh, that, that we can do now. And so it's just been, that's become the more rewarding part of my job now as a pulmonary and, and critical care physician is really talking about COVID prevention and trying to help educate people on vaccines. And, uh, you know, I get a little, um, get a little emotional when that happens. I mean, it's, and I'm not a very emotional person, but if I talk long enough about things I, I've experienced and seen and stories from the last year and a half, I start tearing up, not even thinking about it. Um, when I talk to patients who are on the fence about the vaccine and answer their questions, and then they say, you know what, all right, I'll go get it. You know, you, you, you feel emotional. And so I think of all the spectra of really, and I think many of us in medicine feel similar, um, where that that is really, I think, the priority. That is how you you know, we can save lives and prevent uh, really unnecessary pain and suffering and, and grieving and, and loss of life. What will haunt you about this pandemic and what will change you relating to your career as you move forward? I think the, the most haunting parts will be, you know, hearing people's last words before they end up on a ventilator and then them dying afterwards. You know, like you're the one hearing the last words and um, and the volume of which we've had to see that. And because COVID slowly makes you very sick, you know, many of these patients are sitting in the ICU for a couple days, coherent, just on a lot of oxygen before they end up on a ventilator. Uh, and some of those conversations and, and you know, what's been very humbling also that with COVID, you never know when the corner is turned, kind of like with other uh, illnesses. Now, I'd say my, my most haunting, at least if I just think of a flag, there are many, but the one I think about most of a uh, a younger uh, patient uh, in, in her 50s and who I thought was turning the corner. And, um, but she was quite scared, uh, understandably, but I felt confident the corner was being turned and, and, uh, and I reassured her uh, and her family. And then a couple of days after I went off service, she ended up on a ventilator and then passed within a week. And um, so that is something you think about you know, uh, a lot and, and it's, it has humbled you because you don't know who's turning the corner. Uh, but it's just, it's just sad that one of the last conversations um, that I had with this lady was, was reassuring her. And I was hopeful and thought she was turning it, but, um, you know, but, but unfortunately, like too many did not survive. But to really, for me as an ICU doctor, to step back and just say, I don't know where this disease is taking you, uh, but we're going to go one hour and one day at a time here um, and until, you know, it's good to, it takes a long time to know when that corner truly has been turned. Dr. Kabaza, thank you for all you do, and thank you for sharing your insight. Uh, anytime. It's good to, uh, uh, you're, uh, anything for you. <laughs> Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Subscribe and find video podcasts on my YouTube channel, Monica Robbins. Until next time, have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.